Welcome everybody to the University of Applied Research and Development. This is Craig and our Leadership and Educators podcast. I'm delighted to have Dr. Linda Lee Davis, who is the Professor of International Business and Cross-Culture for Furley Dickinson University at Roxley College. Hi, Dr. Linda. Hello there. Thanks for having me. So good to have you here. And um, what time of the day is it there for you? Well, we're just after 6 p.m., so nice and comfortable. And then after this, I've got a nice relaxing yoga session just across the road in the (laughs) the school. So lovely evening. Wonderful. Um, Leaders need that to de-stress and get themselves re-centered and move on from the day and go back to family and normal life. Is that what you normally do to re-center? Yes, well, I do um, in, in when I'm teaching. So I do leadership consultancy, etc. as well. Um, and one of the things is obviously you've got to be know yourself and you've got to be relaxed. And there's so many things that can get us stressed out during the course of the day. Um, you know, so many. So I think it's very good for people to have their hobbies. Mine happens to be yoga just tends to do it for me. Meditation, gong baths, um, you know, and, and what happens then is you just completely take your head out of the stress zone but equally you clean it ready for something else so if you want to go from delivery to writing an academic paper you can change hats um a little bit more effectively i think if you've got if you've got a vehicle to relax so yes that's that's what i do and you mentioned before we started recording that things have been challenging obviously for everyone as well with the pandemic you've got a very unique program so why don't you tell us about your program um, what you do and some of the challenges recently yep sure now at Roxton College it which is a part of Fairleigh Dickinson University um, it's an American university with several sites in the US and one in Canada and then obviously we're the English campus so we operate from this beautiful Jacobean Abbey um, near Banbury in the village of Roxton which you can imagine is a typical English village with all the thatched cottages and like a chocolate box cover Um, really is lovely and the manor is beautiful And we then have American students over for four months at a time. And each of us um, on faculty, we will teach our our special uh, subjects. So mine happens to be international business and cross culture, but they'll also study art, politics, um, basically the whole, um, you know, sort of culture of Britain as well. Um, In addition to history, which is very important. And of course, classical English, Um, as well as creative writing. So they come over for that on their various courses, and then we each take the the different cohorts as you would in any university. And what I do for the business side, international business and for cross-culture, is I tend to, because they're 20, they're sophomores, they come over and they do four months. They're going to be people that go back to uni for two years, Uh, to finish off in their junior and then senior year and then I keep in contact with them on LinkedIn and everything but then of course you've got to think what world what leadership world are they going into they don't necessarily want to hear what I did 20 years ago Uh, oh 20 years ago I did this it's irrelevant now some of it um, in terms of character building might be a nice little story but really we need to look at the world that they're going to be in so the program that I do there as part and it would be part of their normal degree, their four-year degree with the American four-year degree. Um, I will look at anything predictive 
Um, in international business, we might look at even things like RFID, human chipping, where might that go? In cross-cultural perspectives, we look at not just the country differences, but technological differences on how different age groups cope with technology. And indeed, we then focus in both in international business and in cross-culture, we will look at the differences between Boomer, uh, Gen Generation X, Generation Y stroke millennials, and obviously now Generation Z. And we'll be looking at how that works in culturally. So when they go into their leadership positions, which they will do within say four or five years of, of leaving us. So by their mid twenties, they may be in charge of people my age. They might be in charge of people their own age, but how do they have an intergenerational leadership approach, which doesn't leave anybody out? So they don't sort of disregard the oldies as they may see them. They value the way older people think. Um, and they realize actually the two marry very, very well. I actually work really well with younger people because I understand that I learned, in, when I learned at school, I learned in a very two-dimensional way, a very linear, uh, logical way. And that, that worked really, really well for me. And of course, I've developed, because I'm fairly techy, I, I have developed different 360 degree multi-platform understandings. But because I was educated in that more linear way, then what happens is I think and, and solve problems in that way. But if I work with a Gen Z student of, you know, sort of 18, 19, 20, I can see that they are thinking in a multi-platform way already. So their brains are going like this. And that's why we work so well together. We think of things the other cannot. And so rather than an older person sort of belittling a younger person and bringing them in and thinking, right, you make the team work your way up, those days have gone. You know, we have to understand that the two marry very well if you understand how to lead them. So I'd equally, as much as I've done consultancy here in Britain, helping older leaders understand Gen Z um, and millennial and uh, you know mentality the ways they they want to be motivated I equally work with our sophomores and in the leadership part of it I will push them towards thinking how can you value people you may not even understand or you disregard as not being technological how do you cope with things like that and leadership is my main that was my doctorate anyway so my, my my doctorate was in leadership so i go into looking at how leaders are going to be in the future and that's threaded right through the culture how people are going to live in a few years in 10 years and in 20 years so we will cover in international business we will cover uh, for instance that our, our Apple Macs and other uh, devices will in five years probably be becoming obsolete and we'll be making fun of them you know just as we make fun of the the old-fashioned bricks that we used to carry around as mobiles uh, you know some years ago and we'll be much more into the glasses and artificial intelligence and augmented reality and that brings a whole different cultural perspective to how the job uh, environment works and equally things like drones we're already in Dubai we're looking at drone taxis we're looking at drone deliveries Amazon here in the UK has just had um, uh, the they're looking at the license that you have to get to do a 30-minute delivery 
for, from their fulfillment centers. Now they've been waiting five years for that because I started teaching about drones and Amazon five years ago saying, look, this is what Amazon want to do, but they can't do it because of legalities. Now the legalities are going to come into place and technology is going to make that world very different. So drone delivery, augmented reality, virtual reality, 3D printing, driverless cars, they're all going to make a massive impact. And so in international business and in the cross-culture, we will actually have debates, Cambridge Union debates, on the benefits and disadvantages of drones. So we'll set up the whole classroom and we'll actually give people roles and we'll have a classic Cambridge Union debate, not quite like the university itself where they actually have doors for yes and no, eyes and nays, um, but we'll set it up and we'll go, this house believes, and we'll have a motion and off we go. And we look at the pros and cons of the future of the technology so that we're really, really clear on how it's going to affect leadership, how it's going to affect international business, you know, and look at what's happened recently with the pandemic. Wasn't it a good job we had all this technology? Imagine if it had happened 20 years ago and, you know, we had dial-up. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, the kids don't remember dial-up, but I remember sitting Pete, my, my son, who's now 23, on my knee when he was three, and he used to go, can I dial the world up, mummy, with you? And, you know, he would be really excited. But do you remember how slow it was? Um, you know, you could make a cup of coffee and do several other things while it connected. But imagine had the pandemic happened during those times, how much more limited. So we have mm. technology on our side. We were able to transport our lectures over to Zoom um, when we had to send our students back. Um, and how lucky was that? It might not be ideal, but we have that technology. And imagine in within 10 years um, and plus, we will have, you know, with the glasses, we'll be able to talk to those figures in real time in their environments because, and we'll be able to answer the phone in the air and we'll have Google Maps come up on the windscreen of the car or through the glasses. We won't have these extra devices. So you can see how much lovely, beautiful ammunition I've got for the teaching, it never runs out because the minute you start trying to be familiar with one like lot of technology, then another one comes along. And the students, when they're that age at 20, drink it up. You know, so, you know, the more that you can relate to their world, basically. And so instead of talking about our own world 20 years ago, and the odd little story is humorous. It's quite nice to put in a funny story of your experience, but they're not there to hear it because actually, unlike us listening to our parents, they, them listening to us, it, it doesn't give them as much value. We're the last generation of where we, we, we start off with that history and work our way up. They are the first generation who come in with sometimes more expertise than some of the people there in the workplace. And I have got to look at how that's going to marry up when they do go to that workplace. And that's why I love my job so much, you know, because you just see these students from all different disciplines and you, you try to think about where the technology is going to take them. That's so really that fascinating. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's really great. I think 
Um, something that I notice with the 18 to 21 year olds is many of them, unless they've actually had a school or gone through education where laptops are everywhere and you work on your laptop, mm. the phone is their device. It's their go-to device. They do everything on their device. And if you put them down um, in front of a laptop or a, a desktop computer, using word processing software and databases and spreadsheets and things like that is really quite foreign. And so we have this technological capacity, mostly in a phone though, in that sort of format, rather than the format that my generation might be used to and had to learn to be competent. So what are some of those distinctives then that a leader who has new workers, new team members come in who are millennials, what are some of the points we need to remember to be able to help them induct really well and be productive? And, you know, and I think if I take you back to that sort of difference between 2D and 3D thinking, I think once you understand that, you can then make a much better relationship. You begin to see that they see things in a much more 360 kind of way, and that can be really useful to you. And I think the biggest tip is never treat them as if they're just very new and about to make the tea um you know and i think we've got to get away from those days and unfortunately there are still companies out there that you know right that's it you're the fresher in you come and this is what you do make the tea or coffee um, and I actually was very, I was very fortunate I worked for a recruitment company before coming into academia and I used to run, it's called Read Accountancy, but it's part of a Read Personnel. So, so it was a national um, recruitment company. It's very large, about a billion turnover nowadays. And I used to run Edinburgh to uh, London branches. And I worked for the original Mr. Reed, who is called Reed. Um, and he was just marvellous. He's about 80 something now. And he said to me, always the most precious thing in your business are the new young fresh eyes that come into it. And if you as a leader are directing a whole, because you get higher and higher up into your ivory tower, don't you? And suddenly life becomes spreadsheets and profits and etc. So he always reminded us to go right back to the front line and what it was like to just start for the very first day and to look at those fresh new people coming in and they could see things that you can't. And I think if, if, if there's a biggest tip for a leader that I've got, particularly as I've seen it all over the years now with the, the consultancy and the teaching in leadership, stop yourself from getting too far up yourself in, on that, in, on, in the ivory tower. Remember, we used to call it management, management by wandering around, uh, you know, back in the 80s, etc. But remember that you've actually, the most important people coming in will tell you how your market changes. They will tell you more about your business and about your future custom than your spreadsheets. And so if you do want to make a success of your company, you need the freshest, most immediate amount of information and data. And in some companies, particularly in the UK, where they still have some of those traditional, right, you start at the bottom and you work your way through lots of different levels of leader. Well, how do you know that not what some of those leaders aren't a little bit dishonest and steal the ideas of the youngsters? And as those youngsters come in with those lovely ideas, if you don't capture them, or if someone steals them, you could lose the idea and you could also use the young, lose the youngster. And, you know, that's, you know, and then they go to the competition and the competition might embrace them and have the fresh new ideas so that the whole company can align to the future.
So in order for us to be effective leaders and for us to have successful companies and look at the environment we're working in now, we've got to have innovative creative thinking and disrupt. You know, the Netflix, the Ubers, etc. or somebody somewhere started thinking differently. And it would have been somebody most likely fresh and new to that business. You know, wasn't it Netflix that had gone to Blockbuster originally with the idea and got refused? Well, you know, if you're not open to a new way of doing something. So I would say that the best uh, lesson in leadership is to be approachable, really get to know the new people joining your company and really get to know the markets they come from because they're the future customers and they'll know how people buy. So it's no use teaching them, you know, the ways in which you've learned and particularly now with technology being so fast moving, you know, they, like you say, they're much more, um, you know, phone led than they are laptop led. So you have to think, well, how are they going to do different things? And even in um, higher education, I'm a great advocate of bring your own device to my sessions. So I would, I would rather than give them a case study, which is already out of date, um, you know, because by the time we've printed it and given it to them, we're already behind the times. I would rather they research something absolutely on the spot. So if they want to look up Elon Musk and what he's doing now, that's great. Not a case study about him two years ago. So that way, their fresh, bright young minds get to go and find out things that are interesting and sexy to them. They can then bring that into the, if you've got like a, you know, some of the traditional classic theories to teach them, you don't then have to say this theory has got six parts and you've got to remember it. You can get away from that. You can actually just get them to use the theory to underpin some fresh, lovely, new, interesting reading that they've gone out and they want to research in areas of interest to them. So I think that happens in academia. It should happen in academia and it should happen in the workplace. And let people, the other thing with leaders now, I would say give them time to be creative because there's nothing like a fine young mind let loose and don't make fun of any ideas. Every idea is a good idea, even if you think it's a little bit obvious because for every hundred ideas, there will be the one magical idea that might make the business different and line and align it up because we've got some fairly interesting times ahead um, in for business. Um, none of us really know exactly what's going to happen. And I think if you keep an absolute edge on those young people coming in, and then you look after very carefully the sage in your company, so you don't then do that at the expense of those who are older, but you make a really big effort to, to have an intergenerational approach. So it's what some of the things I've written about in the past with other authors, team-based mixed realities. So we talk about augmented reality, we talk about virtual reality, and those are all very good and our future. But you have to, as a leader, have a team-based approach. You can't just make it highly techy and interesting for the youngsters. You have to make sure that your 50-something, 60-year-old is also valued because they will also have a very good angle on your business. So the youngsters will know where to turn it and the more experienced people will be able to help them do that.
because the youngsters won't necessarily know how to do it. They'll know what you need to do in order to serve them and the, the human beings that they go on to grow in the future. Um, and then those who are older. So that's, I think the leadership challenge now is really interesting because you've got up to four, maybe even five generations in the workplace, but definitely three or four. And the leadership skills, would, you would have to be able to mix that and be appealing to that. And that, you see, some people can do it any age. Young leaders can cope with all generations. Some older leaders can cope with all generations. But unfortunately, some cannot. And, you know, and they're still, I think, out there, particularly in the UK, in traditionally run companies, they're still very much, oh, you're young, you can't possibly know what it is that we're going to need. And I, I think we have to be careful of that. We have to capture that youth and enthusiasm and value the sage within, within the company. I really hope that people will be taking notes while they're watching this and while they're listening to you, Linda. I've got down um, to give people time to create, be creative, uh, to use more current events rather than traditional case studies or ideas. Um, seek advice from the younger team members. Um, esteem and build intergenerational connection in the workplace and to forget traditional career structures or prior knowledge that people need to have to move up. Does it capture some of your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I am seeing in quite a few companies, because I still keep a, a good tab on the, I'm a commercial academic, so I keep a tab on what's happening in business. And I'm seeing more and more um, communication environments where it's quite possible as someone starting at the lower levels to be in direct contact with the CEO. Many of the modern cultures are now saying, if you want to contact us directly, you can. And, you know, and I think there's value in that. And it stops then that danger because all companies can have them. You know, those leaders that are, if you like, coercive, drive by fear, steal ideas, um, and, you know, and, and that can actually put people off. So actually, the CEO isn't making the right decisions for the next five-year strategic plan because the information never got to him or her. So mm. it's, you know, so you have to make sure that that information can get right to the top and equally the top information can, can cascade right through and is fair. So I'm actually seeing much more equality in the workplace than the old fashioned linear through the layers. I think the old fashioned pyramids um, that we have, and okay, you do have to have leaders, don't get me wrong, but they have to be more facilitative than, right. you know, than, than, than directing yeah. and just saying, right, you must do this. That's, that's gone. For the future, you have to be helping people come up with their own ideas and sometimes even helping them make them feel it was their own idea in the first place, even if you've given them a, a little push. Um, but making it an open environment where they feel comfortable to be creative. Look at what the World um, you know, Economic Forum, et cetera, is saying. If a robot can do your job in the next 10 years, change <laughs> the skills that we really will be needing in the workplace will be creativity, innovation, empathy, um, facilitative leadership. You know, mm. the, the different things that can be done by a robot. You know, we don't need to be memory retentive anymore. We don't need to um, be repetitive in anything we do. That can all be done mm. by technology. 
Yeah, I think the term that, that we've been using in our course is the technologically illiterate, the people who come yeah. in with that lack of understanding and where things are going. Um, Dr. Linda, just in the last couple of minutes we have left, for someone who is an aspiring leader looking to make their first leadership move or to move to the next level, what would be one piece of advice you might give them as they prepare for the next role or the next level? Okay, so I would, if you're going for a particular company, for instance, I would be, I think the word I would use is predictive. So rather than just go in there and apply for whatever the role is or to look for that leadership role, also look at where it might be in five or ten years. And then that way you can give at interview a little bit of extra energy because instead of then fighting for what is current, uh, which everybody going for that role will, will do, if you look ahead to the future and you are sitting there with lots of lovely ideas for the future and what you could do, then you're going to, to be a little bit more, if you like, fresh. I know you are fresh when you're younger looking for leadership, but you're going to be even more dynamic. Yeah, you're going to be dynamic for more dynamic than your competitors. Um, and so I think that, you know, when you're thinking about how you come across, the other thing I would do is I would um, look at how you, you come across because so many different interviews are on Zoom now. And it's okay to have a few ticks, etc. Don't you know all of these presentation, um, you know, sort of things. Don't do this. Don't do that. We, we're human, and I think um, the the pandemic has helped us understand that we are in people's homes. We, you know, we might have the dog pop up on the screen at any moment, you know, and things like that. But obviously, for your interview, you want it professional. But don't be afraid to, you know, to really practice just being natural. And then that way, so rather than sort of sat, sit like a rabbit in headlights and do the whole thing, like, you know, do you see what I mean? So you're looking at, so you're predictive and looking forward to what you can offer, but equally you're looking at how you might come across on the different technological platforms that have to be used. Because, you know, particularly because many of the panel interviews are done on big screen. Mm. And, you know, we see ourselves in the little yellow, you know, yellow uh, uh, bordered box. But actually, a lot of the different leadership roles, etc. if you're doing an interview remotely, you're on big screen and they mm. can absolutely see, you know, so you need to be just relaxed so that people don't sort of just, you know, you're, you know, you don't see that you're too conscious of yourself. And then also be predictive. Look at the, the, the way that you come across, but equally look at what they can do for you. So what you're doing is you're creating a marriage. So you are saying, look, these, these are the skills I've got and I, I'm fresh and I'm new and exciting and I can bring this to your company. But then equally say that you can get something from them. You're looking forward to the leadership development. You're looking forward to working in a culture. You've done your research. You've branded any presentation with their logos. You've dressed yourself in a way that that company would expect, um, etc. So you're, what you're doing is you're creating, because the interview is also, the leadership role interview, is also you interviewing them. And I think people forget that. Yes, the company wants to look for somebody good, but equally, it's important that you think, is this the right role for me? And then that way, so if you're predictive, aware of how you might come across in, on different platforms, and you also then think of a union between the two rather than you pitching, um, I think that gives you a better chance. Fantastic. 
Dr. Linda Lee Davis, really want to thank you for your time and being with us today. Absolute pleasure.